0: Older than
1: I'm than Did you know that healing has a language all its own? And if you know how to speak it, you can greatly increase your chances of recovering from anything. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Bolder. Over the next hour, you will learn about the power of belief directly from people who have used it to accomplish things they never thought possible and Best of all, they
2: believe that you can do it too. Yeah, we think you're going to meet some people that you will remember long after today's program is over. In fact, one used the power of belief to overcome racism and to lead a most fulfilling life. And and now he's 94 years old, he's still active, and you'll be surprised to hear what he thinks is most important of all. You'll also meet a woman who was born into poverty, uh, whose belief in herself turned into a career as an actor and a producer. But first, we've got a guy who has not only used belief to help himself, but also as a way to heal others through something that he calls verbal medicine. Ordinary people, extraordinary lives. It is time for Growing Bolder. Our next guest has a unique combination of passions. He's the director of the emergency department at a hospital in Vermont. He's an expert on using hypnosis in healthcare, and he's a world-class athlete. Not to mention the co-author of the book, Verbal Medicine, The Language of Healing. Uh, He's credited with helping bring mind and body medicine into the mainstream. I mean, have you ever heard of neuro-linguistic programming? Well, here's what Mark Sacco says NLP is all about.
3: NLP is a way of saying things that really taps into the mind. It allows you to get things actionable and allows you to change the way you think. So we talk about a lot about reframing. Um, you'll see that we always try to reframe any negative And it's a wonderful thing because our, our brains try to tend to go to negative whenever possible. We're just wired that way for some reason. And by doing the reframing, you can absolutely change it. And it, um, it goes into retraining those pathways, that neuroplasticity. Um, we liken it to, if you skied down a slope of fresh snow and you created one track, If you continue to go down that same track, it gets deeper and deeper and hard to get out of that. But by reframing, we can change and and get into fresh snow again and create a new track and then dig that one deeper because that one's a positive way. And again, I walk the walk and talk the talk. I don't just teach this to people. I don't just theorize about it. I've used it on myself to take myself from the very low, low spot that I was in to where I'm at now, which is a top five podium finish on a national championship.
2: Well, I want to talk about some of those, those lows that you've had because I think they really do inform your story and your work. But, but, but let's, let's kind of get into the book a little bit because I know NLP and thank you for that explanation is one of the components of verbal medicine, uh, which is not just the title uh, of the book that you co wrote with Roger Woods, but, but in a broader sense, you know, you describe it as the language of healing. Uh, and Mark, if I understand it correctly, it's something that Every healthcare worker should be fluent in, because as we all know, words matter. And as you all said, we we tend to go negative, and that's not good for our overall health. Yeah,
3: it really is. And and it, that's our mission, Roger and I, uh, is to teach every healthcare professional we can across the country verbal medicine, and allow them to use the language that heals. To make positive changes, and it's amazing to see how simple it is and how easy it is to just take and change the way you say something. Uh, for example, when when we put an IV in, almost every nurse is taught to tell the patient, "You're going to get a big stick or a big poke or a big pinch," and you think you're helping them, but you're actually setting their mind up to feel it. Hmm. So we stop doing that. We start. We stop saying that, and we we talk about other things. And we talk about the procedure that we're just going to do, and you may not feel anything at all. And in most cases, my patients don't even know that I started their IV.
2: Hmm.
3: It's, it's remarkable.
2: And it's not just what we say, because I think our intentions are almost always good. It's not just what we say. It's what others hear. Uh, it, it's so interesting to me, and and, and I agree with you. It, it's obvious. You would think that uh, medical schools have been teaching this for decades and decades and decades, but it has just been a missing piece in the way that physicians and nurses, healthcare workers in general, communicate with patients. You know, in your book, I, you know, I love when you just talk about Placebos and placebos not necessarily just pills, but when a patient walks into a healthcare situation and sees a piece of equipment that they think might help them, it does help them just seeing it because they believe it will help them. How does all of this relate to what you do on a daily basis? Oh,
3: absolutely! You nailed it right on the head. It what we tell them is what they are are going to feel and believe. Uh, If we say, "Hey, this this medicine, we've had a lot of good luck. Other patients have really done well with this. It's going to have a better effect." And they they've done the Harvard studies, the nocebos versus the the uh, medications, and they found even when a doctor says this is a placebo pill, but I think it's going to make you feel better, it still makes them feel better. It's remarkable. (laughs) And we've spent so much money on big pharma, which is very helpful. And again, verbal medicine works in conjunction with regular medicine. You know, it's it's not that we're getting rid of medicines. We're just making it easier to use less and have better af- outcomes with the medicine that we're using.
2: We're talking with Mark Sacco, who is the the patient whisperer, uh, has been in the healthcare industry for years, also a world-class athlete. And we're going to get to that because this is a guy who hasn't just done research. He's done. Me search, if you will, you know he's used himself as a guinea pig to figure out some of this stuff that that, that he's done. Uh, but I also mentioned Mark in the introduction that you're a board certified hypnotist, and and I'm guessing that someone in your position probably it, it's 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 probably not a good thing that for many of us hypnotism w- was always. You know, a joke. It was something that we saw on TV where a guy got a woman to to kiss a guy that she didn't want to kiss or whatever. Explain to us how you use hypnotism in healthcare and why it's a powerful tool.
3: Absolutely. And part of the reason we came up with verbal medicine is because we're using hypnosis and we're using NLP and we're using our nursing processes. But when you say to somebody, because when we were brand new, we were excited about it, we would say, Hey, we want to do some hypnosis on you. And people would, would look and the barrier would go up and people don't realize that all hypnosis is self-hypnosis that you and I do this every day. Whenever you're focused on a book or focused on a TV show or just focused on a project that you're doing, you're in hypnosis. You're in a trance and everyone who comes into the hospital or a doctor's office or a dental office, they're focused on why they're there. So they're in a light trance already. So why not just deepen that trance with the healing breaths and some nice words, and get a lot more help for them.
2: You know, one of the uh, the other interests that you and I share, because I have read your book, and uh, and I wrote about it a little bit in my book, is uh, a belief of the power of visualization. And, and I've shared this story before. I was uh, a swimmer at Florida State University back in the early 70s, and a guy who was a PhD student in music therapy, uh, there you go, Seminoles, uh, <laughs> a guy who was a a phd student in music therapy came to the swimming team he was a yoga instructor and he had this notion that swimming was very close to yoga because it was controlled breathing he convinced the head coach to allow him to work with a small group of us on what he called visualization and i'd never heard the word before and so he worked with us imagining you know what how we would feel the moment we hit the water how we would feel Performing fast but loose, exerting a great deal of energy, but not spending a great deal of energy, imagining how everything you know just committing all of this to our subconscious so that we could perform that way without thinking about it, and lo and behold, you write about the power of visualization in healthcare. Uh, tell me about your interest in that and why that 's important and how it can help us all well
3: you you explained it very well and and quite honestly, what you experienced was hypnosis. <laughs> there's so many of these things yoga tai chi uh, karate all of these things are actually just hypnosis involved but for us we we like to see how we can show someone their success So if we say, look, we're going to give you this medicine and it works very well, and you're going to start feeling better within 15 minutes. And I want you to just visualize yourself feeling better, feeling more relaxed, and being able to get up and walk out of here when you're ready. And it allows their brain to set themselves up for success. And that's a huge part of it. We want to set them up for that success by visualizing it, by seeing where this is going to go. And it takes that they takes them out of the darkness and gives them a path of light to be able to follow, and we're just gonna guide them with that with that visualization.
2: I don't think there's a world class athlete today that doesn't practice visualization, because as I understand it, you know, as powerful as the brain is, if you imagine something in enough detail, if you truly immerse yourself in the thought about something, the brain doesn't know the difference between the fact that you've thought it or you've actually done it. And, uh, and this is how world-class athletes get ready to, you know, to get out there and finish on the podium in, in in the national cycling championships. How do you use visualization in your athletics?
3: Well, you, you've actually taken the words out of my mouth. I was just going to mention that your brain can't distinguish between reality and imagination. So that is the key to that. And I've, for the last several months, uh, before I went to bed every night, I would go through the race, the national championship race and, and experience it from beginning to end and how I would feel and what I would do. And when I can't, when it came to race time, I felt like I'd already done it and I was just going to get out there and do it again. And I had only actually scouted the location maybe three or four times, but I felt like I had done it for a lifetime, and it made it easier.
2: I love that. You know, you're, you're taking me back. You're taking me back because I I, I can remember the same thing. I would I would close my eyes, I would hear the gun, and I would think, I'm fast. I'm strong. I'm loose, and it's easy. It's it's it, it's controlled, easy speed it's controlled easy speed and i and i really came to believe that if you if you imprint that it is it's it's uh, you could be putting the same amount of energy out but it doesn't take as much from you as if you're thinking that oh my god i'm really going fast and this hurts i love all of that You've come by your knowledge. We talk about resilience on this program a lot, and and the unfortunate thing about resilience is that you have to earn it. Once you earn it, it's one of the greatest assets that you have, and you certainly have had to earn yours because, I mean, if you look back through your – struggles. Your history, you were hit by a truck while you were riding a bike training for the Olympic trials. I think when you were 20 years old, Uh, a few years ago, you were attacked by a guy in the emergency room. I I guess one of the challenges of your job, you had a neighbor come after you uh, who was having some sort of mental breakdown. You've lost some of your hearing because of being beaten on the head multiple times. You had a collapsed lung during a training session. And yet you keep coming back. How have those challenges helped inform not just the knowledge that you have today, but the message that you share with others?
3: I actually, in a strange way, I, I appreciate and i I'm, am thankful that some of these things happen. I'm not thankful that they actually happened, but it took me, allowed me to have an appreciation for life. I mean the in 2020, both of those attempts to kill me um, resulted in some serious injuries um major PTSD some head injuries uh I have multiple TBIs from it but and and some surgeries on the shoulders and the arms as well it, but it took me to a deep dark hole but because of verbal medicine and because of the support of my family and my coworkers I was able to dig out of that hole and it gave me such an appreciation for life that I no longer have those uh, hesitations and those barriers. I will walk up to somebody that I want to meet and I just will meet them. And I will say, Hey, I'm Mark and I want to be your friend. And I want to go ride with you. And some of the top riders in this area, I just went ahead and approached them. And now they're some of my best friends and and we go out and ride and they make me better.
2: And as you've aged, uh, I mean, you're, you're now what in your mid to late fifties? I am 58 race age 59. So, so so, as you've aged, obviously, what you know about visualization, what you know about the power of belief, what you know about verbal medicine, what you know about the importance of words, not only has benefited you athletically, it's not only benefited the patients that you care for, but, but I'm guessing it's benefited your overall health and well-being, uh, your health and your happiness as you've aged. I mean, how important is it? As you age, taking athletics out of it altogether, taking everything out of it, how important is what you've learned about life to to your belief about aging?
3: It is key to my successful aging. Knowing and feeling young comes from the mind. Yes, we all have aging bodies, but they don't have to go downhill. They don't have to decline. We can get them as best we can and then maintain them. And that is a key for our our older uh, aging is being able to get to an elevated level and then maintaining that as we get further and further in age. So we want to visualize that. We want to build that up so that we have a very strong base to rely on as we get older.
2: We talked about hypnosis. We talked about visualization. You write about the power of controlled breathing in your book. I, I'm wondering, and I know I'm throwing you a curve here. We didn't talk about this. You use what you call a healing breath relaxation exercise. Can you explain why that works? And maybe beyond that, could you lead us all right now very quickly in, in, in a short breathing exercise?
3: Absolutely. It is, uh, first off, you can't throw me a curve. I'm an ED nurse, <laughs> I'm used to it all. <laughs> but yeah, so. The basis of verbal medicine is the healing breath. And everyone, everyone can use this no matter what you're doing on a daily basis, because it allows your body and your mind to relax. And when they relax, they connect. So what it is, is it's breathing in through the nose, letting the belly go out. So it's a deep belly breath. And we do it for in for three. We hold it for three. And then we let it out slowly, either the nose or the mouth for six. And when you do that, you relax because you're exhaling, it automatically relaxes the shoulders and the chest. So you focus on that and you allow that to begin your relaxation. So every breath you take and every exhale you make allows you to relax a little bit more. So if you're not driving and listening to this, good point. (laughs) It goes like this I want you to take a nice, Slow, deep breath in through the nose for three seconds. Hold for three seconds. And let it out for six. And as you do, relax your shoulders and relax your chest. And in for three, through the nose. Hold for three. That's right. And relax and let it out. And you do
2: three of those.
3: And then you breathe normal and you relax more and more parts of your body as you do that.
2: You got a great voice for this as well. I'm just imagining the watch <laughs> swinging in front of my face. Uh, yes. I am growing sleepier and sleepier. That's fantastic. Thank you for all of that. And, you know, what is the moral of the story? I mean, what's the lesson about life in general? And, and I know that's a tough one. I'm guessing it's not tough for you to answer because I can't throw you a curve, as I've learned. But <laughs> but but for somebody who has so many different areas of expertise, who has so much experience, not just personally in terms of overcoming adversity, but seeing others and helping them overcome adversity. What's the moral of the story, Mark Sacco? What can we learn about life from you?
3: There is no hole that is deep enough or dark enough that you cannot get out of with your mind and the support of others.
2: I love that. That's a t-shirt. There you go. (laughs) There is no hole deep enough or dark enough that you cannot get out of With the support of your mind and others. Yes. Did I get it? Yes. Mark Sacco. Uh, I love it. That's great. Mark Sacco, thank you so much. I can't tell you how much fun it was. I was looking forward to chatting with you. Now, folks, his book is called The Patient Whisperer. Uh, You can find it on Amazon, and I'm guessing just about everywhere else. Uh, His website, along with his buddy Roger Woods, is patientwhisperers.com. Just Google the name. Mark Sacco, Patient Whispers. You'll learn more about everything that he's up to, and we appreciate all that you're doing for the rest of us.
1: Well, how do you make your dreams come true if you're just a regular, ordinary person? Tara Bennett went from poverty to celebrity, and she'll tell you how she did it next on Growing Boulder.
4: support for Growing Boulder provided by Caring Transitions, a senior move resource to help families ease the stress of life's transitions, offering relocation, home cleanouts, and the resale of everyday household items. Locations near you at caringtransitions.com.
1: What do you do when you know where you want to go, but you just don't have the resources to get there? I'm Bill Schaefer. Glad you're with us on Growing Bolder. And I guess you can stop trying, or maybe you can find another way to get there, because that's what our next guest did, and that's what she always does. She had a tough start in life. She grew up in poverty, and by the time she hit 16, she was parentless. No silver spoon in her life. No reason to believe she was ever going to get anywhere. But boy, did she. She became a dancer, a singer, an actor, a songwriter. Director, producer on Broadway, on TV, and these days she's doing some of her most important work ever. Hers is a story of resilience, of self worth, and of realizing it's never too late to rewrite the script of your own life. It's great to say hello to Tara Bennett Smith. How are you, Tara?
5: Everyone, how are you?
1: Well, you know. You're really inspiring. I think one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you so much is coming from the background you did, one of the first things I always wonder is how did you have the confidence? How did you believe that you could make it, especially in an industry that everybody dreams of being in and hardly anybody gets anywhere
5: in? You know, I don't know exactly what it is, but I think that there was an inner drive uh, when you have lost your mother, especially, because my mother and I were extremely close at a very young age, at a very tender age, there was this will to just, nobody's going to take me down. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if it appears to not be working out. I'm going to find another way around the do- around the back door. And I think that's what happened for me. I couldn't tell you that it was anything specific. specific, probably just an inner drive and an inner desire to live my life the way that makes sense to me. You know what I mean? Not, not the way that we're conditioned. You know, you go to college, you do this, you do that. I don't do very well, you know, sitting at a job or something I don't love to do. And when I realized that about myself, my inner drive to keep pushing became dominant as opposed to the fear of stepping into it. My drive to step into it and keep going was bigger than my fear. To sit where I was, and that's across the board. So I think that might be an answer to your question.
1: Wow, that's 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 super interesting. And I think part of the way that you gained some of that wisdom, Tara, is that you didn't pick one thing that you sort of liked and stopped. I mean, you've had this incredible journey acting on Broadway, national TV commercials, television pilots. You're recording. You're an amazing singer, recording artist, and songwriter. But you did something really really gutsy. For a moment, you stepped out of the spotlight. You stopped acting on purpose. You went behind the camera as a director, producer, and you found that your work was just as rewarding, which most yeah. people would think would be the opposite.
5: Yeah. You know, everybody who's in the industry at some point, not everyone, I can't say, but most people I know, they they go into it because they want the fame. They want, oh, I want to be seen. I want people to know me. And I'm like, blah, and I had that same kind of desire. You know, I want to be on television. I want people to walk there. You go, oh, Tara, sign an autograph. All that stuff that lady, you go, I'm not sure if that's even me. Um, but when I had children, you know, and, and people say when you have children, your priorities shift because it becomes about making sure them that they are their healthiest, most sane. You know, so you don't want them to end up on somebody's therapy couch. And that became a priority for me. And I remember... I was up for a role. I don't even remember what show it was, The Shield. And I had it gone about four times. And this one was a really good role. And they, they kept calling me back. And then they put me on hold from before Christmas till after New Year. And they kept me on hold and kept me on hold. And that's a hard time. You know, when you're sitting there going, oh, I hope I get it. I hope I get it. They said, no, we love her. She's our choice. And then when Christmas, when, when the New Year was over, they came back and they said, we went another way. And I realized at that point, I said, if you don't take control of your life, this will be your life forever. You will always be waiting for someone to say, we like you. And I had just decided, no, that wasn't going to work for me.
1: That's amazing because even at this stage in life, most of the people we talk to say one of the toughest things to hardest thing to deal with is learning to live with rejection, re- re- regardless of where it comes from, maybe you've, you're not working anymore. You've retired, and you, you don't know what to do. And everywhere you go seems to be the <laughs> wrong direction. Your relationships aren't the same as they used to be. Mm-hmm. So, how you know you're in a you're in a business where rejection is the norm? How do you deal with that? How do you how do you not let that shake you to your core when you waited for this part and they just call you on Christmas and go, "No, we don't
5: think so." Right. Well, you know what. You 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 get you grow thicker skin, number one. Um, I think there's a lot of inner work that has to happen. You know, because life in general can be a whole lot of rejections. This industry, you can multiply it by five because you go into an audition, you think you were the best thing since sliced bread, and then they go, yeah, but no. You really have to do a lot of inner work, and you have to have a purpose bigger than the yes from them. So what I decided to to do one day is look at everyone who's in my life as people that I wrote into this play. And then look at what works for me, what does not work for me, and what do I need to rewrite so I can reinvent myself. And that's what I did. I looked at my life as a script and I said, you know what, this auditioning thing does not work for me where I have to sit here and wait for you guys to say you like me. So what could I do to to combat that, I started creating projects that I can always work in. And it's a freeing spirit when I would walk, it freed my spirit when I walked into an audition. I wasn't like, oh, just like me so that I can act. I knew that I was going to act next week as I created a project that I could star in or I could be in or I could direct on. So I got filled another way. I wasn't relying on them to fill me. I started to fulfill myself. And that's how I, that was coming from rewriting my script. You know,
1: So a couple of big points there. Number one is that's a life skill. That is is something that you can take to any aspect of your life. And we will talk about how you've actually done that in other areas. But then the other thing I wanted to tell you is, no, you can't do that because you need the machine. You need the studios behind. You need the money people behind you. And what you've done is (laughs) so David and Goliath. Yes. And so on point to what Growing boulders about you and Tess Cacciatore co-created, wrote and produced a TV series. I saw it on Tubi called The Right Turn that is all about what you're talking about. It's all about changing your life and making things better for everyone else as part of the process. Tell us about it.
5: So, you know, one of the other wonderful things we did with this project is we sat down but I would say 90% of the actors who, and ask them, say, you know, what is a message that you want the world to know that you haven't been able to portray because they've decided that you look like this or you are this, and this is the the little, the cubbyhole we're going to put you in as an actor. So, you know, the guy who plays my brother, he says, i want to talk about mental illness. Christopher Duncan said, you know, my brother suffered with mental illness and I always wanted to, you know, be able to help men. We deal with social issues and 90% of the, scenarios in here are based on real life stories that we've kind of infiltrated into the series so we inter- we interviewed all the women you know say you know as a woman especially the seasoned women what are some of the things you didn't know you know because nobody shared it with you that when you turn 50 that this is what it's going to feel like when you have menopause this is what it's going to feel like when you have not had intimacy for a while because we don't talk about those things well in the right turn we do <laughs>
1: You know, and, and it's it's it really is a case of of art imitating life. I, yes. I know you went through a divorce. You know, you're a mom of of, of three kids. You've gone through this yourself. And and it, if I may, you know, maybe I'm jumping to you know just a from judging from small sample size. You seem so confident. You seem so secure. And yes. and and you know, in yourself, have you always been that way, or have oh. things just sort of come together at this time of no.
5: life? N-O N-O N O N O N people see me and they whatever I project gives them this impression that I have it all together. Now, you know have the saying fake it till you make it. Yes. I never really did that. I just somewhere in the back of my mind believed it till I saw it. So I would just keep I would I wasn't even didn't even feel like I was faking it. I was just being it. You know, even when it didn't make sense to me. I just kept you know, trying and doing and doing and doing, just believing that somehow this has got to turn around. And it did. And then one day you wake up and you realize, okay, the kids are gone. You know, you're in this match. Who am I? I don't even know who I am right now. You know, I know that I was somebody who was pursuing a career, but even with that, I don't know me. That self-love left. So I had to learn how to fall in love with myself. So it is a process. And I know I'm not the most confident person in the world, but... I am the most driven. So the drive propels me to move through anything that tells me no.
1: You know, I I don't know where you got all this wisdom, but just listening to you talk, this is what we all need in our lives. If only there was like an organization that you could start maybe like a a women's workshop where you can rewrite the script of your life, yoga, meditation, food, you know, a place to maybe reclaim yourself. Have you ever thought about opening a haven like that?
5: Well, you know what? I think that's just a good idea. (laughs) I love the way you segue that. And actually, yes. Um, One of the things that, you know, I have been very important to me is to share information. You know, I, I, I think losing my mother at 16, I, there was a lot of self-blame, you know, because I spend a lot of time trying to protect her and help her and, you know, and, and at 16, even though you know it's not your responsibility, when, when someone dies and what in your mental state is your care, there's a lot of blame, you know, that I had on myself. And part of what I wanted to do was be a vessel for other women, you know, that you can push through anything. You just need a support system. Like if my mother had a support system, I think that she would have been still been here today. And so I launched Reclaim Haven and Chef Babette and I, you know, she does the healthy food side of it. And it's really about teaching women how to how to redesign their blueprints because we're all given blueprints. You know what I mean? And it's usually something that we didn't necessarily even want or we're carrying around with us that we still don't want. But we don't know that we can redesign that blueprint. You know, if you come from an abusive background, that's kind of the blueprint that we were given. And a lot of people tend to follow in those footsteps. I was one of them. I was in abusive relationships till I realized that was my blueprint. So I knew that if I wanted my life to be different, I had to redesign that blueprint and then write out characters that I no longer wanted and write in the kind of characters I wanted, write a script. I'm going to rewrite my script. I'm going to redesign myself. I want a whole new Tara. And boy, when I tell you I put in the work and I just started, when people are like, I'm so bored, it's COVID, It's nothing happening. I bought a new car. I had. I was just doing all this stuff doing COVID when everybody else, because I sat down and I decided this is what I want my life to look like. And I'm not backing down from it. And I did that work. So I decided to do that same program for other people, for other women. And I started going out and speaking, sharing that program in between working. And that's kind of what I did. It's a haven for women. So we're getting ready to do a retreat, looks like in Cabo. So I'm really excited about that.
1: And one of the main points, and this is so important for all of us listening to to grasp onto, your past does not have to be your future you write your own script you're not predestined to go any direction you don't want to I think so many times Tara we are just not proactive is we are we're like salmon swimming in the stream we just go with the flow not realizing if we want to go left or right we can do that
5: Well, yeah, because especially when you've lived to be 40, 50, now you've done the same thing over and over and over again. And sometimes, even though we know that this is not what we want, it's where we're comfortable. We are comfortable in this space because this is what we've done. So what happens if I change the narrative now? Who will I be? I don't know that new person. I know this person But the work, the level of work that it takes to change, it can be challenging sometimes. But that's when you find yourself a group of people who are like minded, who you can pick up the phone and say, oh, I feel like I'm slipping today. And they tell you, don't slip. This is why. And then you pick yourself back up and you start again. It is not always easy because we have been doing this for it's like we've been doing this for so many years. And it's like chipping away at a cemented block, trying to get to the core of what's down there. Then you just get tired and you go, I don't want to do this anymore. I just, I'll just stay where I am. I, I'm not that person. I want the life that I want and I'm going to go down kicking and scream until I have it. And that's it. When I look at the people who were my age, my parents, friends, unless maybe I just didn't know, they just seem so much older than me. They seem like they were old and just ready to give up. I'm just like, no, this is the beginning of the next chapter, you know, it, and as long as you stay healthy and in shape, you can get down, you can get up, everything should be new and exciting. You know what I mean? Because the wisdom that we have now that we didn't have then, you know, now to 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 put that with to to marry that with opportunities that are new, man, that's the best thing in the world. You know, to me, it's just the best experience in the world.
1: You, you must have you must have some secrets. Do you have some like special workout or you know diet that that has gotten you? Well, I mean, I,
5: I have been I have stopped eating meat since many many years since seventy two. I do. Like I hike every day with a friend of mine. We have spiritual what we call spiritual hikes. I do uh sometimes do hot yoga. I rollerblade, I bike ride, I I'd rather do physical activity than be in a gym. But if I don't get the physical activity, I'll go to the gym.
1: What do you hope is the one thing that that people remember? What what do you what is your main message? What's the moral of your story?
5: One of the things I love to say is that I woke up this morning, everything else is profit. And we need to get to living and not wait till, you know, the doctor says, okay, or somebody says you got one more month or you got three years and then you dive in. Oh, I wanted to take a trip. I wanted to play guitar here. Every day is that opportunity to be and do that thing. Because nothing, a half hour from now is not promised for any of us. So every time you get a chance to do this, you need to do it like you have. People say, do it like your last day. I don't like that phrase. I say, do it like... If at the end of this day, you had $10 million waiting for you every day that you lived to your fullest, you would live the heck out of that day because you knew there's $10 million waiting at the end of that road for me. I'm going for it.
1: And man, is, that, is this, a, this is fantastic. The show is called The Right Turn. There's more information at Tara Beckett Smith on Facebook. And learn about redesigning your blueprint, rewriting your script, and reclaiming your life at reclaim.com haven.com what an empowering visit with tara bennett smith well stick around because we're about to be schooled in a good way by a 94 year old on what he believes you must do to live a fulfilling life that's next on growing Boulder. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. You've probably heard of the Villages in Florida. It is one of the biggest and most active retirement communities in the world. But you may not know this they have more war veterans there than in any other non military community. Growing Boulder was there at their annual military ball. And man, we saw so many truly impressive people. And out of all of them, there was one guy in particular who caught our eye. He's he's in his 90s, and he is strong, intelligent, and the very first thing he said sure caught our attention. Listen up.
4: If you're not serving your community, what good are you?
1: That's the philosophy Frank Raspberry has lived by his entire life, 94 years. A true leader, a man who strives for excellence in everything he does to this very day.
4: And he wants you to do it too. Some people, that's off-putting. I'm a little cocky. Or he's a little arrogant. Or, you know, well, that's who I am. I'm a take-charge kind of guy. You know, either get on board or get out of the way. And some people are not comfortable with that kind of attitude.
1: He believes we all need to expect more from ourselves and not to be
4: satisfied with anything less. Mediocrity is not something that I ever would accept. Excellence is what I I strove for. I didn't always get there, but what I strove for always was excellence. You can get by. Getting by is is nothing. How do you excel? How do you see? That's satisfaction, personal satisfaction in itself. Even if nobody else sees it.
1: You're probably thinking by now, who is this guy? Well, so were we ever since we met him in the villages at a military ball. There he was in full uniform, tall and strong.
4: Well, I'm Frank Raspberry, Lieutenant Colonel, United States Army, retired. I served from Korea 1951 to Vietnam 1971. You
1: could hear the pride in his voice and you could see it in his stature because his service to his country means everything to him.
4: At this age, I'm not sure I can do justice to the uniform. I didn't want to embarrass it. And they flattered me by telling me that they didn't think I'd ever embarrass the uniform. And I I was really moved by that. And uh, So uh, when, when I can't wear it with pride and show it off, well, I'll stop wearing it. He celebrates
1: the past, but he doesn't live in it. His home is filled with awards, many of them recent, that recognize his service to countless organizations. He takes pride in the fact that he's found a way to make a difference instead of making excuses. Racism? He has experienced it. says he's learned to deal with it calmly and firmly, even recently when he was approached at a meeting.
4: And I'm not sure how the discussion got to this point, but uh, he said, well... All black people are entertainers or athletes. And I looked at him, and I stood up, and I looked him in the eye. And I said, I don't think you're going to find me to be very entertaining. At which point he turned and walked away. I never saw him again.
1: When asked how much racism has held him back, Raspberry
4: bristles. Instead of looking and said, oh, woe is me, I, I, I'm a victim. I refuse to be anybody's victim. Now, I recognize I've been victimized but I'm not a victim because that means acceptance and I do not accept that sort of thing. If I can control me and what I do and how I react, I can pretty well control the circumstance I find myself in. Not 100%. Sometimes pretty well and sometimes not so much but, uh, but I can have a strong influence on what, how this circumstance plays out because of how I control my part in it. And if I'm strong enough, I can influence your part in it. And anybody else's part in that—the Gospel according to Raspberry. <laughs> but that's the kind of thing you dealt with. Well,
1: your entire adult life.
4: Yeah, I have my own standards of, of performance. It was kind of like uh, I never wanted to be a role model until I found that I was being—I had to be a role model. And I decided at that point that the role that I was going to play, the, the model that I was going to be, was going to be of a, 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 a positive one, a giving one, an outstanding servant. Excellence became my byword. If you're going to do something and be somebody, be good at it, be excellent. Put uh, your best energies into it.
1: These days, Raspberry is a different kind of role model, one for successful aging. And just like his approach to everything else, he does not believe you can get there by holding back. Do you know there are a lot of people that believe that the best way to longevity is to wrap yourself up in bubble wrap? Well,
4: we'll, we'll visit them at their funeral homes. Mm. That's not something that you've aspired to? Absolutely not. You don't scare easy. You make me mad is what you do when you try to scare me. Does uh, this stage of life scare you? No, I'm just interested to see what's going on at this stage of life, how much more there is. I feel pretty darn good, tell you the truth, and uh, even though I'm at the point where most people would think that, uh, hey, you haven't got a whole lot of time left. Well, actually, I know that I don't, but I'm not afraid of that. I feel pretty good today, and I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Bring it on. I'm not afraid of anything. I'm interested, I'm curious about it, but I'm not afraid of it. And how should,
1: how should we wrap this up, Frank? What, what, what final thoughts would you like to leave us
4: with? I'm reminded as you asked that question of, uh, uh, of a song that was popular somewhere. I'm going to live till I die. Till my number's up, I'm going to fill my cup. I'm going to live, live, live until I die.
1: What an interesting, inspiring, and memorable person to talk to, Mr. Frank Raspberry.
2: Yeah, you've been listening to the thoughts and opinions of our guests so far, but stay where you are, folks, because up next you're going to find out what's on my mind today. This is Growing Bolder. Sign
1: up for the Growing Boulder Insider newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingboulder.com. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at growingboulder.com/podcasts. You are listening to Growing Boulder with Mark and Bill. This is one of my favorite segments of the program, the time where we turn the microphone over to Mark Middleton to find out, Mark, what is it that is on your mind?
2: You know, Bill, you and I have talked individually off and on throughout the office about supplements. Do you take supplements? What do you take? And I think it's something everybody's talking about. I read an article this week that says that actually 75% of Americans now take dietary supplements on a regular basis and you know and the article made the point that supplements are just that nobody can argue the fact that the best way to get all of the essential nutrients that we need is through a healthy diet supplements will never replace actual real food, fruits and vegetables and lean proteins and whole grains.
1: So you're saying like if I eat fast food all the time (laughs) just because I take a multivitamin, that doesn't fix what I've done.
2: No, but that's a good point. I mean, if you ate a diet like they did 100 years ago, you probably wouldn't need supplements. But, you know, everything that we eat has been stepped on in processing and everything else. So So we do need supplements. So so what are the, the top supplements that people recommend for those who are aging? And here they are. I mean, multiple researchers, multiple surveys all come up with the same thing. And number one is calcium for bone strength. Calcium also helps with blood clotting. It regulates normal heart rhythms and nerve functions. And of course, it, it builds strong bones. And When you don't take in enough calcium in your diet or some way through a supplement, then your body borrows it from your bones, which leads to osteoporosis for many people. And uh, here's number two, turns out that your body can only absorb calcium when vitamin D is present. Vitamin D is also critical for our bone health. It supports muscle function. It's important for our immune system. It's good for our brain health. But the thing about vitamin D is that our body doesn't manufacture it, so you have to get it either from food or the sun or supplements. And you know, most of us don't go out into the sun as much as we used to. And when we do, we're lathered with uh, sunscreen, which is important in its own right. So we've got calcium, we've got vitamin D, and, and very quickly, the other three big ones, probiotics for our gut health. Everybody's talking about our microbiome, which of course are the viruses and the bacteria and the fungi that live, you know, inside our intestines and regulate our immune system. And if you can't get enough of the right kind of Microbiotics, you, you need help, so probiotics are the good bacteria that you take. They help improve sleep, they support weight loss, they're, they're good for brain fog, they're critical as we get older. Magnesium, which is something I read about a while ago, I take magnesium, it's good for your mood, and Lord knows I need it these days. Mag- <laughs> magnesium also lowers your inflammation, it's good for your mental health. People that have low magnesium levels have a higher degree of depression. And then finally, the catch-all, the carry-all is everybody recommends takes a good multiple vitamin because it has a little bit of everything in there.
1: Isn't this a great topic? So many people are so interested in this. And then we're, we're just talking about the individual minerals themselves or vitamins we haven't even talked about. Are all brands the same? Yeah. Is it regulated? Can our bodies absorb what we take? So there's so much of this online, so much information. We talked on this program to Dr. William Lee about food as medicine, mm. and he talks about how eating certain foods can make sure that you get some of those. But, yeah, supplements are such a
2: fascinating industry and a billion-dollar industry. Yeah, and thank you for mentioning a doctor because, folks, even though they're over-the-counter supplements, you should check with your doctor before you take anything. But there is you know, growing uniformity of opinion that supplements are important, especially as we age.
1: Great topic, Mark. It's always interesting to find out what's on your mind, because these are relevant, important things that make a difference in all our lives, and they help us a great deal to start Growing Bolder.
4: The Growing Boulder radio show is a production of Growing Boulder LLC, all rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Technical Director is Jason Morrow. Production Manager is Michael Nannis. Chief Audio Engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member, you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every
5: day.
0: Crimson flames tap through my ears, flowing high and mighty trapped. Countless fire and flaming rope, using ideas as my maps. We'll meet on edges soon, said I.